This is episode number 1183 with Rachel Rogers. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Rachel Rogers. She is the founder of Hello7, a multi-million dollar company that teaches you how to earn more money and build wealth. And as a business coach, attorney, CEO, black woman, working mother, and self-made millionaire, she's known for her blunt, sensible advice and for calling out the elephant in the room, whether it's racism, misogyny, or centuries of unfair legal practices that have stripped financial power away from women. She's written a new book called We Should All be millionaires where she teaches how to succeed financially in spite of the very real obstacles along the path and this is part one of our conversation so make sure to check out for part two coming later this week in this episode we discuss how to feel worthy if you're going through a difficult financial situation how everyone can become a millionaire and the fastest way to do it this was really cool what she shares why it's so difficult for people to be transparent about money and having money conversations do you ever struggle with talking about money, how much you make, what things cost with your friends and family. If so, we'll talk about that there. The most important conversations to have around money and so much more. And if you're enjoying this at any moment, make sure to share this with a friend or two that you think would be inspired by this. Someone you think just wants to learn more about money, making more, earning more, and believing in themselves that they have the capacity to do so. And if this is your first time here and someone sent you this episode, just subscribe over on Apple Podcast right now and leave a review at the end sharing the part about this that inspired you the most. And again, text a friend that sent you this and thank them for spreading the message of greatness. And I am so excited about this episode. So in just a moment, I bring you the one and only Rachel Rogers. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. Very excited about our guest, Rachel Rogers, is in the house. Good yes, to see you. Let's do this. Very pumped about this. <laughs> You've got a book called We Should All Be Millionaires, and I believe that. Uh, but according to the Credit Suisse Wealth Global Report, only 1% or 56 million people are millionaires. Interesting. Now, I'm curious, Is it that's in the world. Right? Yes. 56 million people in the world are millionaires or 1%. Is it possible for anyone listening to become a millionaire in your mind? Is it possible for anyone to become a millionaire? And if so, what would, need to, what would they need to have the first three things in mind in yes. order to work towards becoming that? Yes. So first of all, yes, I do think that it's possible for anyone. And if there really truly is somebody because of their environment or systemic mm-hmm. conditions that they're living in that they can't, then that's our responsibility for the rest of us to do it so that we can help lift that person up, right? Okay. So that's kind of how I see it. So I think we should just assume that we can. What if all the excuses in the world, though, of like, my parents will let me do this, my where I grew up, or this, or that, I don't have the education, mm-hmm. you still think it's possible? Yes, and you can find examples of millionaires mm-hmm. in every circumstance. Mm-hmm. I myself grew up low income, like my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics at different points in their lives. Like there was, there was on paper, I was not a success, a potential success story, right? And I could let that stop me or I could just say, that's just part of my story. Mm. It doesn't mean any, in fact, I think it's actually propelled me. I think sometimes when you are at a disadvantage, you are in a better position. And if you think about people who are systemically and historically marginalized, right? Like there's not as many 
black people, for example, who are teaching on a certain subject or who are experts in a certain field, right? You have an opportunity and a perspective to serve a segment of the market that's probably underserved right now mm. if you are a marginalized person, you know? So I think that there is a wealth of opportunity and we have tools now. Like, it's a miracle that we have the internet, right? Um, that's how I was able to do it. So right. I think it is within reach and I think we have to believe it. I mean, that's the first thing is you have to believe it's possible. And I think the way that you get to start believing that is possible is surround yourself with other people who also believe, right? Like be in an environment like listening mm -hmm. to a podcast like this or reading books or joining communities where you can be surrounded with people who believe because mm -hmm. there's any number of naysayers in the world who will tell you it's not practical, it's not possible. So you have to surround yourself with people who believe and who are doing it, who are working towards it. I think that's the first thing. Okay. I, I think like the that. second thing is we have to really get clear on the way that we add value. I think... We are mm. so like talented and we think that we're not. Forget about the, what the world says, forget about what your last boss said about you, uh, forget about what degrees you do or don't have, right? Like really think about your natural talents. Like every yeah. single one of us is born with natural talents and skill sets and a perspective that other people don't have. And the problem is we undervalue it. We think everybody can do what we do. Everybody can't do what I do, right? right? Like everybody can't rock this hair. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so we have to get in touch with what are our talents. And the way that we do that is look back at like when you were a kid, right? Like what were the things that people came to you for or you were just naturally did? Like I used to get in trouble all the time for talking too much. Um, and now I get paid to talk, Yes, you know? So I think that there's we can look back and see or and it doesn't even have to be like sometimes people think oh you got to be a big personality no you don't like there are people that i know who make millions just being uh someone who thinks like an engineer who knows how to systematize things and create process and they use that as a way to like invent strategies or processes mm -hmm. that make them millions yes. right so we all have talents so we have to tap into that and really think about what is the value that i have to bring um, I yes. think personality tests can help with that just to start to give you an inkling towards, you know, become a student of yourself. Who am I? Right. What do I have to bring to the world? What is my perspective? How does my growing up with a parent who struggled with alcoholism at one point in their lives? How's that benefit me yes. and make me relate to more people and make, you know, me um, more able to become a millionaire rather than less? Mm -hmm. So I think recognizing our value is um, also a big piece of it. So we had mindset, we have um, value. I talked a little and bit talents. about environment. Um, and then you know what? Like, I think for the last one, I'm gonna just say charge accordingly. Like, <laughs> just start asking for more money, right? Like, yes. just be audacious with your requests. Like, just ask. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's one of the simplest things we can do is like, oh, you wanna pick my brain? Let me charge, charge for that. Right. Um, or, you know, put an offer out, right? Offer to tutor your neighbors or offer to whatever that skill is that you feel that you have. Try to sell it and see what happens. See if anybody wants to buy it. Absolutely. You know? Um, and the more valuable you become, and the more people want your talent and your skills, you can start to charge more exactly. accordingly. Maybe when you start out, you need to charge in a certain way, but as you grow, you can really start to charge premium levels. Yes, and honestly, here's the thing. I think we could charge premium on day one. Yeah. I just think that we're too afraid to do it. As long right. as you could back it up. As no, you gotta as get long results, as, you gotta yes, get results. Yes, exactly, if you can get results, um, then you, then then why do you have to, you don't have to charge lower because everybody else does. Right. I think we do that because we're scared. So we're like, oh, you know, this very valuable thing that I have to give, I'm going to give it for $100 instead of $1,000 because 
$100 scares me less. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, fine, put it out for $100 just, and then see the results that you get for people, then get mad about it and then raise the price. Exactly. Which is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you mean you charged less, they right. got incredible results, and you're like, oh, I should have charged I 10 times myself. more. I blame myself, yes. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's okay when you're first starting out the first six months of a venture or something. It's like, you know, I've done things for free for friends to see. Oh, totally. Can I actually get the results? Let me try. I got it yes. for myself. Can I do it for one person? Yes. Oh, I did. Okay, let me charge the next person. Yes. Man, they made a lot of money for my help. Let me charge more for the next exactly. time. Exactly. And then keep going up. Yes. I think that's the best way to do it. I think so. And you can do market research as well. But the key thing that I want people to understand, especially like everybody in my office, uh, my audience is basically everybody except straight white guys, right? So like everybody <laughs> except you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's who- Why is that? that that's why, I, because the world is created for straight white guys, right? Like literally. So I really try to focus on those. And I also think there's a different pathway, right? Like I think there are issues that we experience as people of color, as queer people, as people living with a disability or chronic illness that other people don't have to deal with. And so we might get advice that's like, oh, just do these steps, it's so easy, right? When it's like, oh, but we're dealing with, I gotta take care of my mother as well. Like I, when I make it, I also have to take care of all the family members who didn't make it, right? Who need help now mm -hmm. that they're approaching retirement, right? Like there's, there's issues that we have that typically straight white guys don't have, right? Yeah. And so that's why I focus on this audience. And it's yeah. also just who is attracted to my work as well. Right, right. Um, so I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're saying the third thing is to charge accordingly. And I think that's, I think it's to know your worth in general. Yes. And that's that's applied to everything in life. Like know your worth with your friends, yes. with your family, in your partnership, with your relationship. Exactly. Don't sell yourself short in any area of your life. And you've got to learn to believe in yourself to do that, which goes back to step one for you. Is exactly. Surround yourself with people who've done it and then learn to believe in yourself. Exactly. And that's what I was getting at is the worthiness and the confidence. I think sometimes when, you know, when, like, I, I, there is probably not a black woman in America that hasn't worked in a workplace where she felt undervalued. And when you do that for a couple of years, you start to believe that your, your value is less. And so I think that yeah. it's important that we have confidence. It's important that we ask for the money, right? When we put mm -hmm. ourselves out there, when we create work, that we charge for it, yes. right? And um, what demand that people recognize our value. What if someone doesn't want to pay it? They say, okay, I recognize the value, but that's not the value I'm willing to pay for because I don't want that value or it's not a need in my business or yeah. whatever it might be. So goodbye to that person and, and move on the to the person. next. Yeah. Exactly. Find who your audience is. Right. And I think, you know, you got to have, you got to put it out there to get those no's to be like, oh, these are my people. Let me actually right. write my copy or present my offer in a way that makes them go away. Exactly. And only attracts the people that are really my people. Right. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. And how does someone learn to feel worthy when they're broke? Yes. Well, you have to recognize that you are inherently worthy. I was just as valuable as I am today, you know, 15 years ago. But how do you believe that? 20 years ago. When in the bank account yes. and the relationship accounts don't show that value. Yes. Well, I think, again, it's environment, mm. right? Like the way that I became a badass woman was surrounding myself with other badass women, right? Like starting to spend time with people who had confidence and believed in themselves and starting to, and what they saw in me, right? Like realizing what other people see in me that I don't see in myself. Mm -hmm. And you need that reflection back. And that's why you gotta surround yourself. I mean, I have to tell you, like I've been spending time in LA this week with 
you know, black women entrepreneurs that I talk to on Twitter all the time. And like, listen, the way that they will hype you up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got this girl. Exactly. Yeah, let's we, go. <laughs> we hype each other up. And, and that's so important. You yeah. need that. And I've had that since I was a kid. Yeah. Like I had friends who would hype me up, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we need that in our lives and we got to put ourselves out there. Um, be a friend first. Right. And then you'll find that squad and you'll start uh-huh. to create that community around yourself. And then there's no way you can't believe it when you're surrounded by people who are constantly reflecting it back to you. I love that approach of surrounding yourself with people that will hype you up or that are inspiring, that have already done that. And I've also heard people say, when I'm in those rooms, I feel like an imposter. Yes. I feel like all these incredible women, you know, if I was a woman in these rooms of women, <laughs> uh, for this example, but these women have done incredible things. How am I be able to, why should I, I shouldn't be in this room, because mm-hmm. they're all amazing you know, starting to downplay my talents because they're all at a different level or have more experience or have their careers or financially successful. How does someone get over the imposter syndrome of yes. being in the room when they are the, whatever label they want to call it, the, the least successful financially, the least intelligent, the least experienced, whatever they want to say to themselves. Yes. I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Because I don't have X. How can they overcome the imposter syndrome? Well, I think it's a process, right? It doesn't happen overnight. I think sometimes we think like, just think better thoughts. And it's like, that's lovely, but that's not working for me. (laughs) You know, I think first of all, challenge that belief when it comes into your head. When you have that thought, oh, I'm going into this room and I'm excited about it, but I'm intimidated because I don't know that I belong there. And really just check the receipts. Are you sure you don't belong there? Like think Mm. about who you are as a person, what do you have to offer the world? What is the value that you bring? Yeah. Um, what do people ask you to do that you know is valuable, right? What do they ask you advice on? You really just start to check your own receipts to see like, really, is that true? Because usually the people who have imposter syndrome are people who have a very long and impressive resume, mm. right? And I wrote about in my book how Maya Angelou and Michelle Obama, like these are people who have imposter syndrome, like way far into their career, they felt like they didn't belong in certain rooms, right? Exactly. It's like, what? That makes no sense. And it's true for us as well. Like we'll think that we're not valuable or we'll have that same imposter syndrome and other people are like, are you crazy? Like you're amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're bugging. (laughs) So I think- um, If someone's in the room and they're, they're, they're going to remember this conversation that you share here. And they're about to be in a room with a bunch of powerhouse, whatever, individuals yes. that they want to be around. And they're like, this is the first time I've been around this group of people. I'm terrified. I'm nervous. Yes. What can they remind themselves in that moment when the Oprah of their industry is talking to them and they are potentially a nobody in that space? Yes. They're on their way up or whatever. What can they remind themselves? I would say like, ask. they should ask themselves, what do I love about myself? Right? Like, I'm funny, you know, Um, I'm smart, I'm strategic, you know, I have great fashion sense, right? (laughs) Like, whatever it is, what is something that you love about yourself? And think about how you're bringing that energy to that room, Mm -hmm. right? And just recognize that that is a lie. And it is a practice. I used to be such a mean girl to myself in my head every single day. I, I said that I was not smart, stupid, you know, I said that, like, I can't figure this out. Um, I'm bad at business. I'm not good at making money. Um, I'm not good at practicing law, which is what I did before, you know, my current business. Like, I would, t- I would, I'm a bad mother. Like, I mean, I said every cruel thing that I could possibly say. What did that do for you? Um, I mean, it made me feel bad, right? Like, it made me feel bad and it made me want to go get under the covers for three days. And sometimes I did, right? And then I would get my 
pack up and go back go back to work because <laughs> I had to because I had kids to support. But I would do that too. And what helped is meeting women who believe in themselves mm. and just being around that energy. They it's just like that energy is gonna bring you along. Because I think sometimes we think like, oh, I have to do all of this in my head, and once I fix it in my head, then I can go be around people. No, no, no. You need to go be around people because that's what's gonna fix it. You know. Being in that environment, our yeah. community, our environment, it affects us so much. It does. So it's so crucially important to be surrounded by positive people who believe in possibility. Yes. You know? So that's what I would say. And when I'm going to into rooms, like I go into intimidating rooms all the time. And I think now I just think like, I'm just gonna be myself. And if myself isn't good enough in this room, then I don't wanna be in this room. Right. Next. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Next room. <laughs> Next room. What if someone's uh, listening and they're or watching? And they're in their their mid to late twenties, and they haven't really figured out what they want to do with their career or their their business aspect of their life yet. Yes. What would you suggest in terms of the fastest path to making millions? The yes. fastest path to being a millionaire, based on their skills. How can they assess their skills? What would that industry be? What would that lane be? Is that a career is that investing in something is that earning as a solo entrepreneur to an entrepreneur what lane should they take or think of yes what are kind of these three different lanes you would suggest so i don't believe that we should choose our path based on like what industry is hot right now mm-hmm. you know i think what's going to make you the most money the fastest is the thing that you're willing to consistently do. Mm. And that's usually connected to something that we actually care about and are interested enough in. So I think sometimes we're like, oh, this is hot or this is a hot idea, we should jump on that. And it's like, you could. And I'm not saying that that won't work. But I think the way that I've been most consistent is if I'm doing the kind of work that that I enjoy, that I believe in, where I feel like I'm making a difference and where I'm having fun. Yeah. If it's a drag, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop showing it's gonna up. It's gonna be tiring after a year, two years. <laughs> exactly. You're like, it's exhausting. Right. So finding that thing that you're willing to do for ten years, and sometimes you don't know, right? Like, when I graduated from law school, I started a law practice because I knew I didn't want any of these other jobs that I was being offered at these firms or at nonprofits. And I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna go do my own thing. And I started my own practice. And Law wasn't it for me. That wasn't my thing. But through doing that, I discovered that I really love running a business and I'm actually good at it. Right. Um, and so that I would have never gotten to that. So I think there's advice by um, Denzel Washington. You know, they asked him, like, what would you advise young actors? And he says, act. Yeah. Right. Just get out there and do it. And so I think that's what you have to do is just pick something and do. And through that, you're going to learn what you do like, what you don't like, what you're drawn to. You're also going to get a perspective that's going to show you opportunity. Like I figured out Small Business Bodyguard is a digital product that I created while I was running my law practice. Right. In 2013. But when I was a law clerk in 2009 and working in the courts every day, I identified that like there's people who you know, can get legal aid and get a free attorney. And then there are people who can afford attorneys. And there's a whole lot of people in between that where they don't qualify for legal aid, but they also can't afford 350 an hour for an attorney. Right. And so I was like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if there was some DIY DIY option? Like they could do it themselves if they just had a little bit of guidance. Yes. Um, And so like that idea was planted then. Right. And then years later, you executed on it. Exactly. Exactly. So I think sometimes we just have to get out there, get into something. Right. Start doing something and just getting information from that and seeing and go where you're drawn. I think we have our instincts are so powerful. We collect too much information, too many advisors, 
too much content, right? So I think sometimes we just have to follow our instincts. Where do we feel led? Do it. Do it and see what happens. Yeah. Nothing is, it doesn't have to be permanent. Right. Just gather some information from it and see what's next. Why do you think it's so hard for people to be transparent about their money and talk about money? Why is it such a taboo topic in general? Yes. I think for all classes, all individuals. I totally agree. It's like you have, it's so funny because, and I wrote about this in my book, like for women, we have shame if we don't have enough money, but we also have shame if we have quote unquote too much. Really? Yes. Why? Because it's like, you know, oh, I have more than them and let me hide it uh, because people are going to think I'm showing off or Uh. they, they have imposter syndrome, right? Am I worthy of having this much money? I've, I've experienced that myself at different times, right? Like, You've worked hard for it, but you think that you don't deserve it for some reason. And I think that we just have, I think society was sort of designed so that we wouldn't talk about money. Why? Because I think it's designed so that we have a few people at the top and a lot of people at the bottom. And so now, you know, then of course the middle class emerged and we've gone through different things as a middle class, as a collective, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but I think it's, I, I think that's part of the reason why it's like, don't tell, you know, employers saying, don't tell your coworkers how much you're making because I'm paying you more than I'm paying this one. And I don't want y'all to know. Right. So it's like, it comes from those places, but it's reinforced everywhere, you know? Right. Um, everyone's reinforcing it. Exactly. And I think not just corporations or. Yes. Know. And because there's so much mystery, it's like, I don't, I don't know how much you make. Right. You, mm. you don't know. Maybe you know how much I make. Cause I talk about it all the time, but, but I don't, you know what I mean? So like we, we don't know and we're scared to make assumptions and we're sort of guessing and we're like, well, if I put mine out there, I might be embarrassed because I discovered that like, I'm actually either making too much related to my peers or too little. And I think it goes back to belonging. We just want to belong to a community, to a group. You know what I mean? And so because of that, it's like, we don't want to do anything that's going to make us not belong. It's just an inherent human need to belong. And so I think that we don't talk about money because we think it's going to affect our ability to belong, whether it means we're too broke or we have too much, you know, or somewhere in the middle. So what conversations should we be having around money? How consistently should we be having them and with who? Yes. Okay. So in terms of the conversations I'm having, I'm telling people like, if I get a speaking gig, here's how much they paid me, right? And I asked some more and they gave it to me. So make sure you do that too, right? Like, or I negotiated for higher pay or I negotiated for profit sharing or I asked for more vacation days, right? Like we need to share our money earning strategies with each other, especially with, you know, women and people of color, right? Like putting more money, like that's what allyship is in my opinion, is putting money in the in the pockets of the groups who need them, right? Um, and who, you know, we have this huge wealth chasm in this country. So like, how can we start to change that? And so that's why I share how much I got paid for a book deal. Like all these things you're not supposed to share. I'm like, I'm gonna tell (laughs) y'all this, how much I got this, how I got it, you know? Um, and I think it's important. So I think sharing money-making strategies is very important. I also think one of the things that has been so valuable to me with some of my my peers, especially, I will say, my white guy peers in particular, <laughs> have showed me, like, they have taught me things about, like, you know, uh, investing strategies or, you know, like, oh, here's a strategy that I'm doing with my money or I'm investing in real estate or I'm doing these different things. Like, what are people doing with money once you have some, right? right. Like, once you have a little bit more than you need to live off of, what do you do with the excess and sharing those things, right? Sure. Sharing that information because it's usually hidden. And it's like, 
there's a small group of people that know and you don't know until you have peers who have done it and then you find out right, right, right. <laughs> in those quiet conversations that aren't on you know on facebook right sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, should people be talking with their friends their their family members their spouses yes. about money or yes what if someone's really uncomfortable says you know what i don't want to talk about the money i make and how what we should be doing what what conversation can you have to yes. try to break the wall down well i think you could say here's why i want to talk about money and here's why like we have to be i think if we're willing to be transparent people will be transparent with us mm. that's what i've found in the conversations that i've yeah. had and that's how i've learned a lot about money is by having conversations you know like um the friend that i was spending time with last night She's an investor and a financial advisor. And so I was asking her like, okay, well, what are you investing in? And how are you thinking about it? And what is an investment thesis? Like, I don't even know what that means, right? Like, you know, we were having conversations and she was teaching me all of this stuff because I was willing to tell her like, okay, here's how much money I want to invest, but I don't know where where best to put it, you know, that kind of thing. So I think you just got to be willing to put yourself out there first. And I find that people want to talk about it. So when I bring it up and I start sharing, they immediately start sharing because it's like they were like waiting for an opportunity to talk about this Yes, is what I find. So I think we just got to start doing it um, and create more transparency around it. Um, and then, yeah, it creates it creates opportunity mm-hmm. for all. And that's the other piece of it is like I recognize that, you know, even someone who would be considered a direct competitor, maybe they sell the same thing I sell. I don't. I don't believe in competition in that way. I think Mm. there's more than enough money to go around. I think there's more than enough opportunity to go around. Yes. And I choose to like be friendly with and and support my my competitors, quote unquote, and vice versa. Um, And that just means that we all get better at what we're doing. We all can serve our clients better, right? We all can make more money. Absolutely. So I just choose to believe that. And sometimes, like, there are times where I'm too trusting, and someone you know, I don't know, I guess you could, for lack of a better phrase, steals from me, right? Mm -hmm. Or takes an opportunity or says one thing, but does another behind my back, whatever. And that's going to happen too. But I'm like, but I don't want to be a person who's closed. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I just got to be me and it is what it is, right? Like there's going to be some occupational hazards when you're being transparent. Absolutely. Um, And you just got to navigate that as best you can. But I just choose to be who I want to be in the world instead of who I feel like I need to protect myself, you know? What was harder for you, making your first $100,000 in a year or making your first million dollars in a year? $100,000 for sure. Why is making 100000 harder than making a million in a be- year? Because it's like, I think we're just figuring it out. I also think we're charging too little for our work at that point. <laughs> is this when you're working as a career or when you had your own business or freelancing? Um, I never or made a hundred grand prior to starting my business. Got it. You know, I went from college to like I had a job in between college and law school and then I went to law school and then I started my own practice so so you didn't work at a law firm after law school mm-hmm. you, so you started pretty much right away being exactly. an entrepreneur right I was, which that, is really hard to do yes my last your, salary before I became an entrepreneur is was $41,000 a year gotcha. and like really good health insurance yeah, yeah. and I was thrilled that was in between <laughs> law school or in between school and law schools yes gotcha. it, no in between um this was after law school because this was my clerkship. Okay, got you. Yeah, so you know, you kind of sign on for a year. You your paycheck is not that big, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, and you're a lawyer, right? You're so, learning the ropes. You're getting reps. You're yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're and then, and that's kind of why I decided to start my business at that time because I'm like, 
I already don't have a lot, right? Like I already know how to live off of this Nothing. amount of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm like, if I can live off of this now, let me keep my expenses this way or lower them even more. Like I sold my car and we owned a house and we rented it out, moved into a smaller place. And how many kids do you have at this time? I had none yet. Okay. Oh, well, actually, that's not true. I had my, my stepdaughter, but she didn't live with us full time. Okay. Um, and so that's what I did at that stage is like I cut down my expenses as much as I could so that I could build this business. How old were you then? I was, God, 27, okay. I want to say, Got 2009. It. Uh-huh. Or no, yeah, 2009 to 2010. Okay, cool. Is this was that year, um, and then I clerked for the judge and I started my my practice. And I was like, you know, I made like there were months where I made 500 bucks and mm-hmm. months that I made 2,000 dollars. And that's why like linking together, you know, I was doing. My friend bought a salon. She was a style a hairstylist. She wanted to buy her first salon. I did the transaction. She was purchasing an existing business, and I charged her 500 bucks for that. I don't think I've actually ever told anybody that. That's, that's cheap. I and I, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I didn't know what to charge for that, wow. and that I undervalued my services so much that I like literally have never told anyone wow. that I charged five hundred bucks for that. Um, and she's still a good friend of mine. Wow. Um, and she. That's not her fault. No, it's not her fault. Yeah, she yeah. made bank with that salon, and yeah, yeah. she's since now um, sold it. But, but you also got experience doing that you know doing that transaction totally. that deal which you'd probably never done at that level yes it seems like so you gained confidence from that yes so there was a win there for you as well there was a win and but when i saw how many hours of labor were oh, involved you put, you put like weeks probably right uh, yes i'm negotiating with the other side dealing with like a difficult lawyer 500 dollars is a steal I mean, for the whole thing. And can i hire was, you for that i should i should have charged five thousand dollars <laughs> right, minimum right, right. you know um, but it was like, but I learned from that. Of oh, course. I add value. Of course. I can, I can figure it out and I have a skill in that I'm trained in knowing how to figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was so kind of like that, working on the job experience. Like you weren't totally. fully probably experienced for that yet. It sounds like, but you yes. learned, okay, I didn't need to do these 10 hours of calls that I did here. I could have done this in an email or yes. whatever. I don't know how this works, but whatever that was, you you learned your process yes. to simplify it, to maximize it. So exactly. And back to that hundred grand question, I think that's why. It's like we're figuring it yes. out. Usually we don't know exactly what we sell in those early stages of the business. So we're mm-hmm. selling everything. Everything. Whatever people come to us with, we're like, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> we just create a custom <laughs> offer for that. Whatever money we can bring in, we'll do it. <laughs> we yeah. will take it. <laughs> and so you're very busy. Uh, I call this stage busy bee because you're very busy at this stage, but you're nothing's refined, nothing's efficient. Everything is just sort of like your massive labor towards yeah. whatever you can make happen. And so that first hundred grand, I think you are hustling for that. Um, but in order to get to a million or at least to do it in a way that feels sustainable, um, you need systems, you need process, mm-hmm. you need team. Right. And yes. so now you're starting to build a sustainable business. You're not just, you know, by brute force making yeah. money. And you need to clarify your offering and your, your audience and your niche and what mm-hmm. your specialty is. You're exactly. Not, I'm not just a lawyer that can do anything you want me to do, but here's what I really specialize in. Exactly. Here are my three packages at these different levels. And, yes. And you and go all in on marketing that. Yes. And there's money that you're saying no to. Absolutely. You learn that lesson that not Isn't all that money crazy? is good money. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so weird. I say this a lot to people. I go, it's weird that I'll turn down massive checks all the time. Yep. But I'm just like, that's not what I want to do, and it doesn't serve my mission. Yes. If it's not serving the mission, and I don't need the money, mm-hmm. then I shouldn't do something just to bring in more money. Exactly. For me. For me. It, it's a distraction. At different stages of my life, a different season, now I said yes to everything. You know, right. when I'm broke, you, you say yes to all these things. Yes. But 
then when you're like, okay, I'm here for a mission and to serve at the highest level of my skills and abilities, that brings me the most joy and brings yes. others the most joy and benefits the most number of people, then you start saying no to money, which is crazy. Yes. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's delightful. <laughs> it I is. love it. No, I feel I feel like to me, it lets me know that I'm not, it's like I've not made money my master, yes. right? Like it's very important, but it is Ooh, a tool. That's good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not beholden to it and I won't trade anything for it. There is plenty of things that I will not do and I don't care how much you pay me, you know? Right. So I think that it's good to remember that. And so when you're turning down opportunities, it's, it's just an example of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing things right. But I think you got to understand that just because you turn down money over here, doesn't mean it's not gonna keep coming to you. Mm -hmm. Like just because you turn down something that's not right for you doesn't mean abundance of something that is right yes. will keep coming to you. There's so much opportunity. There's always more where that came from. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. That's powerful. Okay, so the first hundred thousand, how long did it take you? How many years until you made a hundred thousand in one year? Can you yes. remember? Roughly. Um so my first year in business, and it was like I started September first, two thousand ten. And so from that year till like September 2011, I made like 60 grand that first year. That's right. But I think the first full 12 month calendar year was like year two. So it wasn't, it didn't take too mm -hmm. long. And then how long until you made seven figures in one year? Yeah, that took me seven years. After that, yeah. From yeah. starting business. From, yeah. from, from September 2010, I think it was, maybe it was six. It was like 2016, 2017. Yeah. Um, I think 2017 was my first seven figure year mm -hmm. and I had gotten close, but not, you know, like right, right. almost Crossing, there, yeah, but yeah. not quite. And twice. And I, you know what? It was interesting. What happened is like I had my business, my revenue was doubling in the beginning. It was like I made a hundred grand, then I mm -hmm. made two or two fifty. And then, you know, then I made five hundred. Then, but I then was, it's like I plateaued. It's and, like, OK, five sixty. Right. Six twenty. I know. Like, it started making me mad, like from 500 to 700,000. I think I was there for like three years. Yeah. And there was all kinds of stuff going on in my life. One, there was a lawsuit that I, one of my business partners, so like this is one of the things where you're too trusting too quickly no. caused some issues. So that was a huge distraction for me at that time. I had two babies back to back. Wow. So, you know, I was busy with them. And then there were just a lot of lessons I needed to learn. Like I had all these people working for me but I didn't have good boundaries and I didn't, I just kind of let them do whatever they wanted and didn't have, mm -hmm. you know, like I was learning how to become a boss. I was learning how to become a leader and a manager. It's so much more challenging than just doing your skill. Mm -hmm. Like, let me just be good at the yes. law thing, which <laughs> exactly. is what people wanted me for. Yes. Now they want my business for that and me, but I've got to train the team and, and to deliver. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a different skill. It's totally different. And it's, it can be challenging. And I think that's why a lot of times we're like, well, I'm just going to go back to doing it myself. And it's like, you can, but it's going to keep you small. Yeah. You have to say yes to those challenges and learn that new skill. Right. Um, and I think leadership skills are so valuable and for everybody. So, um, what yeah, I had to learn that. And it took me a couple of years to like, figure out how to have stronger boundaries, figure out how to stop letting people waste my time, Ooh. figure out how to Ooh. charge for what I, mm. what my services are worth, right? All of those things, those were lessons that I was learning in that time. Who was wasting your time? Like clients or employee, Everybody. employees? or Clients were wasting my time, team were wasting my time. Mm. Um, even family members, right? Like I, I, my desk was like right in the front door. So like, it's like the door is here. My mm -hmm. desk is right here. My husband would like be coming in and out. He's a stay at home dad at the time, taking care of the kids. Um, and he just ran a tight ship with our household. It was amazing. Like I had so much support in that way. 
but he would like every time he came through the door, wouldn't talk to me, yeah, interrupt like, I gotta me. Focus. Yes, yeah. exactly. Was like I didn't know how to create boundaries around my work time. Um, and I did eventually learn it. I started getting up at 4 a.m. Because I was like, I'd get up at 6 and these kids would, it's like they oh, could man. tell. Like they had a radar the moment I woke up. So then I would get up at 6, like I would be like, okay, I'm going to beat them. I'm going to get up at 5.30. Nope, still get up with me. 5. Nope. 4.30. Nope. 4 a.m. And they stayed in their beds. Wow. So I was like, fine, I'm getting up at 4 a.m. every day then. So wow. that's what I did for a while just to find that quiet time so I could focus. Um, so those were like, I had to learn those lessons, you know, and, and now with my clients, I try to teach them those lessons as early as possible. I wrote this book because it has some of those lessons in there um, so that people don't have to spend three years figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I've, I'm, I'm a big believer that going through the process is the best way to learn. But there are also some things that we could learn from mentors or teachers yes. ahead of time that could hopefully save us some time in some of our decisions that we waste time on. Yes. I still feel like even with that, we're still going to learn things the oh, hard totally. way in certain ways. But if you could go back to that uh, 27 and and say, you know what? These are the three skills you need to learn in your first year of business or before mm. you launch that first year. Only three skills. Obviously, it'd be many, but yes. what would be the three most important things to develop a millionaire mindset faster? Yes. One, learn how to say no. Mm. Learn how to say no and learn how to not feel responsible for other people's feelings. Number one, because I think especially as women, we are socialized to be nice. And that niceness is frittering away our dollars, mm. you know? And so we have to stop being so nice all the time. And you know what? You're mad that I can't spend this extra time doing this extra thing for no money. Oh, well, be mad. <laughs> like That's okay. You can feel your feelings. And I'm going to go over here and protect my time. Mm. So I think learning how to say no is a top priority. Um, I think... The second thing is get a personal assistant, like from day one, as mm. soon as you possibly can. If you can afford to pay somebody 20 hours a week uh, for five hours a week, like as soon as that you can eke out a part of your budget for that, absolutely do it. Because as soon as you start learning how to delegate to somebody else, how to explain something to somebody else, yep. you're going to learn those leadership skills Ooh. and then you'll be able to run a team later. Right. You know, So the sooner you can start learning those skills of how to lead others, how to delegate to others, how to communicate, um, how to support the person that is working you know, for your company, I think that is so uh, crucial. So saying no um, getting a personal assistant and let's see, what is number three? God, there's so many. <laughs> I think raise, double your prices mm -hmm. would be my number three. Like whatever you think your price should be, double it. Because especially women, we so undervalue our services that we can afford to double it and we'd probably still be undercharging. And what if you're saying this is my price, say it's 5,000 for whatever you're doing uh, and I've doubled it to 5,000. And then for a few months, no one's saying yes to this price. Do you then make concessions and discount? Because you're like, well, I got to pay rent now. I got to figure no, out how to... Never. Never discount. Never. So then, if you're broke, what if you... No one's saying yes. You've yes. got all these different audiences of people. <laughs> you're knocking on doors. You're making calls. You're following up. You're doing things. People are like, nah, I don't need it. Or oh, it's too much. Mm-hmm. What do you say when someone says... I'm not says, dropping the price. <laughs> So, so I gotta pay my beat. My, I gotta feed my babies. I gotta yes. pay rent. I gotta do all these things. I got family that need help. So they're relying on me. I think what happened. You gotta solve the real problem, right? Like, okay. so if it's not selling, then either you don't believe in it, or you're mm. not describing it clearly, so people mm. can like know what it is. 
Or you're not showing the results you could get for someone. Exactly. Maybe you're not good at these sales calls mm. and you're like, a lot of people will do this. They'll get on a sales call. They'll have the whole conversation, explain, you know, here are the person out, mm-hmm. match the person's problem to a solution they have, and then like choke at the end and not ask for the business. Nice. So it's like, get comfortable asking for the business. You know, usually when that's the case, there's a problem there with the entrepreneur that they are afraid of. And so they avoid solving that problem by dropping the price. Mm. And so I'm like, no, 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 keep the price right where it is and actually deal with whatever that challenge is that you are struggling to overcome. What is that challenge usually for people? I think it's being afraid to ask for the business, not marketing themselves, not putting themselves out there, right? And what ask. is the inner feeling though? What is the inner fear? Of asking for the business? Because yes. somebody's going to say no. Uh-huh. I guess rejection. Nobody likes rejection, right? But the sooner you can get comfortable with rejection, like you are free. That, that creates so much confidence when you can be rejected a ton. And I feel like one of the best things that happened to me is when I was applying for a clerkship at the end of law school and I just got rejection after. I mean, I applied to like 90 different judges. And then I also applied to a whole lot of law firms, got a lot of rejections there. Right. It was super competitive. It was like the 2008 recession. Right. They were hiring less people. I was not at the top of my class. Um, So it was like I just kept getting rejected. I mean, literally every day I would open my mailbox for like two months and it was like three rejection letters a day. And I'm like. Awesome, right? Because I just got at first it was it hurt my feelings, but by the by the second month, I was like, oh well, keep it moving, right? And just figure it out. So I think that being rejected, learning how to get rejected and be okay with it and it not make you fall apart is one of the best skills in the world. What's the process of learning that skill of is it just facing rejection over and over and putting yourself out there and then Learning, okay, I'm still alive, I'm still here. and Exactly. It's like Denzel said, act, right? Get Uh rejected. And there was like this thing going around that was like a hundred no's, like collecting a hundred no's. So like the person was like, you know what, my goal is to be rejected a hundred times, collect a hundred no's. So I'm going to put myself out there enough, ask for something enough that I could be denied, right? Have that many people say no. What you will learn along the journey is that there's going to be people who say yes. And so for every 20 or 25 rejections, you're going to get a yes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and there's so many stories about this, like The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. You know that story of of like, you know, how it was rejected. It was complete failure, you know, (laughs) in Brazil. And then it got translated into English and it's like one of the best selling books of all time. Mm-hmm. And it is an amazing book. Yeah. Can you imagine us not having that book? You it's know? An incredible book. <laughs> it's incredible. And it's like he just believed in it. And he, you know, kept pitching it. And when when his publisher was like, I'm not gonna print this anymore, he took it to another publisher uh-huh. and just like believed, right? So there's something to be said about learning how to be rejected, continuing to have that tenacity, not letting it shake your belief in mm-hmm. what you're here to do. If someone wasn't raised around the language of money and mm. they weren't in a, an environment or a household that spoke about it in a good way, maybe they said money, you know, rich people are, are mean or bad people, um, or their parents always got angry when they saw someone who had money on TV and yes. associated wealth with a bad person. Yes. How do they break that mindset that not all wealthy people are bad people? Yeah. Well, challenge that belief, right? The way that we change our thinking is to challenge those beliefs. Mm -hmm. So like literally write down the thing that you believe and then, you know, write down all the evidence that you can collect that tells Mm -hmm. you the opposite. Like that's how we change our mindset, right? Um, You know, so if I'm telling myself I'm not smart, 
I can collect all the evidence. Well, I graduated from law school. Mm -hmm. I graduated from undergrad uh, summa cum laude, right? Like, actually, there's evidence that I am smart. You know what I mean? (laughs) Let me let me point that out. So. I think it's the... So it's, it's being a lawyer of your life. Yes. Of that belief system. Exactly. Which is collect, something you understand. Collect evidence to prove what you want to believe, right? Mm-hmm. And see if you can find out that it's true. Maybe it won't be, but I, you probably will find that it is. Because a lot of our thinking, it's just like, it's just something, it's a thought that was planted there in childhood or mm. from whatever interactions we had that are memorable moment that, that are that are kind of stuck, right? And it's creating this like this neural pathway that we just keep walking every day. We just keep saying that to ourselves. And so the way we create a new pathway is we got to start digging that path, right? To go Mm. a different direction. And the way you dig that path is start collecting evidence of the opposite. So look for examples of wealthy people who aren't, you know, trash humans, right? Like, (laughs) I hope that I'm an example, right? Um, And that there are plenty of others out there. So, you know, try to challenge those you know just and i think it's just societal views it's things that we tell ourselves i don't know why maybe to make ourselves feel better for not trying to go after Mm -hmm. what we want i don't know why we do it but we do it and i think we can change it yeah and do you think money buys us happiness no (laughs) i think but i think it buys a roof over your head which is happiness right (laughs) like so you know sometimes people when people talk about like money doesn't matter or whatever, I'm not beholden to money, or they think it's a moral high ground to act like, I don't care about money, right? So like, you feel better about yourself because you don't care about money and your nose is in the air because you don't care about money. I'm just like, this is a person who has never been poor. You know, like Mm. this is a person who is not aware of the real economic situation for so many people. And I think if you are aware of that, then you recognize that money is a powerful tool that enables you to take care of and feed your children, that mm. enables you to house yourself, right? Like, just like the baseline. I have been in a place for many years, my family was, and then I was as a young adult, where, like, I, you know, my, like, electric went out, right? And we didn't have lights for a week until my mom got paid again. Or where, you know, we didn't have food or we were on food stamps and I'd be embarrassed to use it. And there's only certain things we could buy with it. Right. Like I've had that real financial insecurity. And I think Mm. anybody who has had that understands that money is very important. (laughs) Like the idea that it's not important is complete nonsense, you know. And it's like that's the reason you're telling yourself that I would love to coach that person and dig into why are you telling yourself? Why do you have that story? What is it doing for you? Right. Because. The reality is, is that money is an important tool in the way that our society is organized today. And so we need it and, you know, we need to learn how to get it. And that's exactly why I do what I do to teach people how to get it and show them that it is possible for you to create it on your own, you know? Um, But yes, this idea that like, you know, money's not important or whatever, money is for bad people. I'm like, look, money pays the bills, (laughs) okay? Like, let's get back to basics here, all right? I think y'all are forgetting something. And then once you have that baseline level of security, you can decide, do I want more? And if I do, how much more? And here's what I say all the time. You know, when people are like, well, how much is enough, right? You're a millionaire or your business is making X amount of money. Like, isn't that enough? Why do you still strive for more? And I tell them, because I am black. (laughs) Because there is a huge wealth chasm in this country. And as long as my people need money, I'm going, and I'm good at earning it, I'm going to keep earning it and then put it where I think it belongs, right? Um, So there's a certain amount of security I want for myself and my children. And frankly, I feel like I have that at this stage. Mm -hmm. So I've done that part. So it's like, check. And so now the next thing to do is how can I spread it around? 
you know, like how can I have it be making change for people and change people's lives? Because I recognize money changes lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's important to just recognize money is is neutral. It's not positive or negative. It's a tool. And it's how we use that tool that determines whether something bad happens or something evil happens or if you have a positive goal with it. Yeah. Have you have you met a lot of uh, millionaires who are unhappy? I've met millionaires who are unhappy, um, and I know plenty of happy ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think there's both, and I think it's like, I mean, here's the benefit, right? If you're a millionaire and you're unhappy, you could probably go purchase some therapy. Mm-hmm. You can maybe go to a retreat, right? Like, you can spend some Take money. Take some time on, off, right? Yeah, yeah. You can spend some money on figuring out how to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's money in itself that's making them miserable. Really? You know, maybe it could be, but maybe it's just because they're choosing to make it their master instead of really mm. leading their own lives and directing their own lives. They're, like you yeah. were saying, right? Like living in LA, right? Everybody's got a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something and you got a scooter. I'm right? driving a scooter. <laughs> Scoot down the street with a smile on my face. <laughs> wave at the guys in the Ferrari. Like, I want what that guy has. You know, it's like. <laughs> yes, but see, that's where we get into trouble is if we're mm-hmm. like, oh, because somebody else has it, I have to have it. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you want it? Is that yeah. something that you even care about? I think you know? one, want something because you want it, not because you're trying to impress someone else or right. show off or. Or you think you should up. want it. Yeah, or, or because your friends have it, you're supposed to buy it. Yes. Do it because I was, um, I was with a friend recently and he bought this, like, I don't know, $40,000 or $50,000 souped up, like, ATV type of thing, like a four-wheeler wow. thing with like <laughs> the music, the front, but it's like $40,000 ATV thing. He's like, I got it because a friend had one and I thought it'd be cool. I was doing it to like celebrate a big launch I had. Yeah. So I wanted to buy myself something. I bought this and I've used it three times in a year. Mm. He's like, it wore off after the first couple of times and yes. I just sits in my garage. So I think, so if you're going to celebrate and buy something, that's one thing. But if you're going to buy things to try to impress or keep up with your friends, just know what you're doing it for. Yes. And you may not use that thing. And yeah. that money could have been invested in something else or... or Someone else. Someone else or whatever. Yes. yes. So, and I think we're going to have starts and stops like that where, yeah. where we think we want something and then you yeah. get it and you're like, actually, I've learned this. that I don't care about this. Yeah. My husband loves cars. I don't really care about cars. I just want to be comfortable and get where I'm going. Me too. <laughs> you know? Me too. Uh, but my husband loves cars and like he, he lights up and he gets so excited. He loves to tinker with them and all of that. And so I'm like, awesome, have cars because you love cars, right? And like, I, what I love is, uh, you know, we have horses, which, you know, if you want to lose a lot of money, buy a horse. <laughs> Man, the upkeep every month on that is it's probably like five grand a month just to maintain a horse. Yes. I mean, we have a full-time person who takes exactly. care of our her- horses. Um, but when I see, like, my black children in an equestrian world where, like, it's literally 98% white, mm, wealthy sure. white, yes. you know? And so, like, watching my black children ride their horses on their ranch, I'm like, I will pay. It's cool. I- I'm happy to pay it. Yeah. It brings me great joy. And it brings them joy, you know? And they also are learning. One of my favorite things about it is that they have to groom them. Mm, that's good. Um, the barn manager, they makes them go up there twice a week and they've got to muck the stalls and take uh-huh. care of the horses. And I feel like it's hopefully teaching them not to be spoiled. I didn't have that problem when I was a kid because we had money. My parents couldn't spoil me. Yeah, yeah. But I do have that problem with them. So. Yeah, I mean, well, any kids with horses are spoiled already. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. So you have to teach them hard yes. work in that process. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I like them doing manual labor. Yeah, yeah, and I like when they're like, I don't want to do it today. I'm like, guess what? That horse still needs to get taken care of yeah, today. Yeah. So you got to get up there and go do it, whether you want to or not. That's good. So it's it's good. It teaches them good lessons. But they, it brings a lot of joy to us. And it's an, it's the horses provide an experience to us every day horse, yeah. that is so valuable. So I, you know, but it's also possible I could have bought a horse because I thought I wanted one and then realized I don't. Mm-hmm. And then that's okay. Sell it and figure out what you do want. You know, yeah. <laughs> don't just build a big house because other people have a big house. Like build like, a house because you want it, right? Yeah. Like I, I do have a large house and I have it because I love having people over. So we invite people all the time and have mm. big parties and it's amazing. And it's like that being together is how I celebrate. You mm. know? Yeah, I think you'll regret decisions more often than not when you do something because you think you're supposed to do it. Oh yeah. Like I live in an apartment still. I've never bought a home. I've invested in real estate, but yeah. I've never bought a home because for me that doesn't excite me. Yes. Having a property and then spending fifteen hundred a month on the pool and the landscaping and the management and the taxes and all these things and the roof leaking. I'm like, that doesn't excite me, that, that <laughs> idea. Investing in real estate where someone else manages it excites me. Right. Because I'm not doing that work. Right. I'd rather put my effort on serving humanity and yes. doing the things that I'm skilled at and not 10 hours a week on a house that, you know, obviously I'd hire someone to manage it, but it's still, I'm thinking about it. Yes. Right? And, and I totally I'm 38 that. and I don't have a house. And most people might be thinking, what are you doing? You're like, <laughs> What are you doing with your life, Lewis? You should be owning a house. Like, right. why, why are you not doing this? And uh, I just see it differently. Yes. And maybe in the next year or two, I'll say, you know what? I want a yard. I want a space. And I'm down for this, for this season of my life. But I haven't been up until now. And I don't want to make decisions because other people are telling me to do it. Yes. Unless I feel called to do something. Exactly. And so, you know, I may be right or wrong, but at least I feel at peace. I totally. You know what I mean? You got to be willing to like separate from the pack and, you know, figure out what your path is. And it's cool because when you do that too, you inspire other people to be themselves. You know, like I was talking earlier about Arlen Hamilton and, you know, she's like this amazing VC, obviously a millionaire. And she wears like hoodies and like yeah, everywhere yeah. she goes and she's like i refuse to get dressed because she doesn't want to and like just being around her in her hoodie frees me to be like i do want to get dressed up so like i am right? Yeah, like, right, right. i'm not gonna ask what's the dress code i'm just gonna wear what i want to wear right like so i think it's so important when you are living the way that you want to live and doing things differently it, it frees other people yeah you know to do the same what about your, you have uh, four kids, right? Yes. Four kids. What are the age ranges? I have a 21-year-old. Okay. And then a uh, 9-year-old, she's going to be 10 th- later this week. So she's about to be 10. All right. 8-year-old and a 3-year-old. Get a new horse for their birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10-year-old, get a new horse. She is having an equestrian birthday party, That's but she's cool. not getting a new horse. <laughs> Uh, what are the uh, the main themes that you teach your kids about money from all these different age ranges? You know, if you could share three things that you teach them consistently at home. Yes. Whether it be a simple or, you know, profound principle, what are those three things that you talk about on a consistent basis yes. with all of them? Well, I, te- I like to teach them about consistency, which I think is about money. It's huge. Yeah. Like, you got to show up and you got to do this every day. And it's like, you did it for five days and they're like, well, I did it for five days. Why can't I get credit for that? And it's like, that's great. But this is the kind of thing where you got to show up. So teaching them really about habits and about like having a work ethic. If you want something, are you willing to put some sweat equity into it so you can have it? 
Um, yep. And so teaching them that, I think, is a core money principle. Yes. And then I also teach them about business. I teach them about entrepreneurship, that you can create a business and sell anything and, um, you know, make money from your own creative ideas. So I want them to learn that. So my daughter is always like making books or she's making mm -hmm. like little gifts for people for their birthdays. And That's she's cool. an artist and cool. I want to teach her to value her art. This beautiful thing that you created, we can hang it on the wall and that adds value to people's lives. So you can charge for that. Mm -hmm. So just having those conversations and showing them even things that they're creating now have value. Absolutely. Um, or things that they're willing to do. Like my son is like very techie. So I'm like, oh, the remote's not working. <laughs> my eight year old, and he's been doing this since he was six. He's like, mom, just give it to me. <laughs> he like fixes it all. Um, so, you know, he has that natural skill. Like it's obviously a natural skill. Who taught him? I didn't teach him mm -hmm. nothing. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to do it. Yeah. Um, maybe he learned by watching my husband. I don't know. But, you know, I want him to see that like, oh, your ability to come in and fix that for somebody who doesn't know how that that adds value. That's that's mm -hmm. something you could charge for if you wanted to in the future. Yeah. Um, so like teaching them that and asking them to do things and telling them like, you know, if you do X, Y, Z, I will pay you. So I negotiate a lot with them. Mm. So, you know, it's like we did this family photo shoot um, recently and my son absolutely hates taking photos. He hates getting dressed up. He hates the whole production of it. And so I'm like, okay, so you do this for mommy and you make sure you smile in all of the pictures and, and you have to like not like untuck your shirt and do all those things. And if you do all of that, then I'm going to allow you to play video games tonight for two hours on a weekday. Wow. So like That's big time. deal. Yeah. And then we shake hands. And then there are times where he tries to go back on the deal, you know, and he makes deals with his sister too. They <laughs> and like, he'll try to go back on it. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you make a deal, you have to stick to it. Uh, you know, so making sure that he understands that if you say, if you give your word on something, you have to back that up. Yes. Um, so, so teaching them that I guess is another part of the, the money story. And I like them to just, it's so funny. My husband and I will go for walks or whatever. And, We'll be talking about business. This is my husband's a CFO. Um, and so we're having business conversations. And my daughter's hanging out with us, listening in. And my husband's like, yep, you stay right there and listen to all of this. You know, soak it in. Um, so teaching her just yeah, about, like, the different strategies that we, we try and, you know, marketing moves we're making or whatever. Different investments that we're making and why we're doing it. Um, and explaining that to her, willing to have that conversation, you know, like we bought a beach house. Let's talk about how, you know, we're only going to use it for the summer, but we're going to rent it out during the mm. other parts of the year. And that's going to cover the cost of what we're paying for the summer or like what we're paying for it all year long. Um, so this is the strategy and explaining it to her so she can start to see. And it's like it's repetition, right? It's us having those conversations over and over again over sure. time. Um, and there's something about the eldest daughter, I don't know what it is, but she's going to be running this whole empire. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You can already tell. <laughs> That's great. That's fun. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.